0: On the 16th of October, 1837, a young teenager was holed before the court in the Moot Hole, the headquarters of the town of Malden, in the English county of Essex. His name was Berry Bradbrook. Berry was born around 1821, and he was from Layer Breton, near Colchester. In June 1837, Berry pickpocketed a silk handkerchief at the Malden Summer Fair, However, he was soon caught and appeared before the Molden Court of Quarter Sessions in the courtroom of the Moot Hole on the 16th of October that year to answer for charges relating to pickpocketing and theft. It didn't take long for Berry to be found guilty and he was eventually sentenced to seven years' transportation to Australia. Berry, not yet out of his teenage years, was being taken to the other side of the world in chains, and he knew that he would almost certainly never see Britain or his family again. Hello and welcome to this episode of History Between the Lines – Today we'll be discussing transportation, which was the British criminal punishment of putting convicts onto ships bound for distant British colonies and making them serve out their prison sentences there. Throughout the episode I'll also talk about the personal experiences of Barry Bradbrook just as an example of a transported convict. This criminal punishment had been going on for over 100 years before Berry was sentenced to transportation. Transportation became a formal penal system in 1717, and originally thousands of convicts were sent to the American colonies. But with America lost after the American War of Independence, a new dumping ground for criminals had to be found. The British found it in Australia. As soon as there was a British presence in Australia, through the discovery in 1770 of New South Wales by Captain Cook, it was seen as the perfect place to send convicts to, with its barren features, its alien-like animals like kangaroos, and its sheer remoteness. It was naturally suited to be a prison. From Britain and Ireland from 1787 to around the late 1860s, around 123,000 men, just under 25,000 women and an unknown number of children were transported to Australia. A person could be transported for a whole range of different crimes, from stealing sheep to being members of radical political groups such as the Luddites... Men on commuted capital sentences could be transported for 14 years. This also included many offences which we would see today as very minor, such as Berry Bradbrook's crime, which was the theft of one silk handkerchief. For minor crimes like these, convicts were sentenced to seven years' transportation, as Berry was... Therefore, even a minor offence like this could merit being transported and therefore transforming the convict and their life forever. So many were sentenced to transportation during this period, so from around the late 18th century to the mid-19th century, because it was something of the go-to punishment at that time, as it avoided the unpleasantness of actually executing someone, but at the same time the court was ridding the country of them forever, as barely any of them came back, and it saved having to build more prisons in Britain. It also provided the British settlement in Australia with a useful workforce to build the colony up. It was also widely believed in Britain during this period that there existed within society a criminal class, which was a group of people who were inherently disposed to crime, whose nature it was to break the law. This was around the time that the idea of the hereditary criminal was beginning to take hold, and just one example of this is in October 1814, a molden dairyman named William Belsham was found murdered in his cow barn, and the man they eventually convicted and sentenced to be hanged for his murder was a man named William Seymour, who was a local ex-sailor and petty criminal, and they found a lump on his skull, which was... You know, just a physical feature of his, it didn't mean anything, but at the time, people took that as a sign that he was a member of this class, that he was inherently susceptible to villainy. And it was believed that transporting them to Australia would prevent this criminal class from contaminating others in Britain. Once convicts had been sentenced to transportation, it was very difficult to get out of the penal system However at times the interventions of patronage, gratitude and favouritism, all of which ran through the whole of British society during this period, could get a convict out of being transported at the last moment and given a last minute pardon. To do this the convict and their family had to find as many character references as possible from the respectable, such as landowners and magistrates to try and get this pardon from the authorities. But usually the pardon was not given. In Berry Bradbrook's case, he didn't get such a pardon and he continued on to the different stages of the transportation system. In November 1837, Berry was removed from Springfield Convict Jail and like all convicts was put on board prison hulks at Chatham Dock prior to leaving the country. Convicts were often taken to these hulks, anchored in ports, in chains and rags, exposed to the weather and the mockeries of passers-by. Whilst imprisoned in the hulks, waiting to be taken to Australia, some convicts were put to gruelling day-long work shifts in the shipyards for months in chain gangs, which meant that to prevent escape, a £14 iron was riveted to a convict's ankle the prison hulks themselves were usually old warships converted into a vile floating slum full of prisoners they were damp, dark and filthy when new convicts climbed aboard everything they had of value was immediately taken from them by the guards or the older prisoners such as combs, braces and money and they were made to wear coarse shirts, canvas trousers a grey jacket and ill-fitting shoes Food was scarce, discipline was draconian, and rule breaking often resulted in a brutal flogging. After being kept in the prison hulks for a few months, on the 23rd of May 1838, Berry sailed for Australia from Sheerness on board the ship Minerva II. When they were eventually put on board the ships bound for Australia, convicts said what many of them must have known was the final goodbye to their family and friends. Many convicts were leaving their parents, siblings, partners and children behind, and they were almost certainly never going to see any of them again. Such farewells often conjured scenes of tearful grief from a prisoner's family and silent shame from the convict as they were put on the ships. The voyage to Australia was around 16,000 miles and it took months to get there. Throughout the 18th century, the transportation of convicts to Australia was mainly done by private contractors and the conditions on the ships were miserable, with many of the ships' holds being wet and cold and prisoners were chained up and left in their own vomit to suffer from boils and scurvy. The ships themselves were often old, they were crowded and there were not enough medical supplies Diseases like typhus were also a danger, with nowhere to go to avoid the infected on a ship if an illness broke out. Sadistic captains also often meted out lashes to convicts on board. This all meant that many convicts died en route. Almost all of this negligence and sadism from the captors went ultimately unpunished from the British government. However, by 1815, the government had introduced demands on contractors to improve conditions on the ships. With increased medical knowledge gleaned from the Napoleonic Wars, which were fought during the early 19th century, the government adopted reforms of the system which included introducing ventilation, swabbing, disinfection, exercise and fumigation on the convict ships. Prisoners were also given sugar, lime juice and vinegar to combat scurvy and as time went on and these changes were put into place the death rate on the ships plummeted to 1 in 122 convicts and afterwards rarely rising above 1 in 100 and never beyond 1 in 85 although the sufferings and deaths of sea journeys during this period never entirely went away. Prisoners were still kept in berths on the ships where the air was stifling as the hatchways were kept closed with thick grills on them, and there was rarely as much as six feet of headroom for the convicts. By the 1820s, discipline on most ships was smoother, and summary punishment was now around four dozen lashes, which was painful enough but nowhere near as many as the number of lashes given out on the early ships. Berry Bradbrook's own voyage lasted 123 days, and he arrived in the colony of Van Diemen's Island, modern-day Tasmania, in September 1838. Being still a teenager, it's quite likely that Berry, once in Australia, was put into the Point Pure Boys Prison, which was across Opperson Bay from the adult Port Arthur penal settlement. The Boys' Prison had been opened in 1834 as a facility for convicted children aged between 9 and 18 years old. For juveniles imprisoned there for the first time, they were to be treated as young minds, which could be reformed through a harsh regime of work, discipline and punishment. Many of these younger convicts used the trades they had learned to become honest and successful adults once they were released. When adult male convicts first arrived in Australia, those amongst them who were considered fit enough to work were assigned places as labourers for free private settlers or were put in work gangs to work on government public projects. Labouring for the government in Australia, which was seen as the worst kind of labour to be assigned to, included an enormous range of tasks, such as coal mining, cutting down trees and processing timber for shipbuilding, quarrying, digging tunnels and ditches, and constructing many types of buildings, from prisons and courthouses to barracks and bridges, all of it hard physical labour, working long hours in the boiling Australian heat." Once he was released from the boys' prison, Berry would have been assigned such work in one of these industries. A particularly brutal form of government labour was the construction of roads out in the Australian outback. Convicts were put into gangs to build roads and worked whilst chained up in leg irons... Two such roads were the Great West Road across the Blue Mountains and the Great North Road completed in 1831 by convicts which went through 170 miles of gorges and connected Sydney to the farm districts of Maitland and the Hunter River Valley these gangs were often forced to sleep out in the open which was perishingly cold in the winter and frost would settle around their bodies the gangs guards enforced discipline and obedience brutally and they had the cat tails a multi-tailed whip to use to enforce discipline and give out punishment Lashings were given out to the prisoners without hesitation, sometimes to entire gangs at a time. As well as this brutal treatment and the hard physical tasks they had to work on, labouring out in the outback must have felt like being on a different planet for these convicts. We have to remember that these men grew up amongst the green hills or the slums of the British Isles and Ireland, and now they found themselves working in chains in a torturous heat in a vast landscape of flat nothingness, stretching away into the horizon for as far as the eye could see. Added to this sense of being on a new world was Australia's red earth and its poisonous animals like snakes. It must have felt like they'd been sent to Mars... So thank you for listening to part one of this episode about the British penal system in Australia. Do listen to part two, which explores the fate of male convicts beyond labouring for the government and the experiences of female convicts when they arrived in Australia. Thank you for listening. See you there.